Hi, my name is Eric Jardine. I am on the elder team at this wonderful church, and I'm actually speaking today, and I'm really nervous about it. So first off, let's pray. Lord, take away my nerves, take away the stress of this day and of this week, and Lord, I pray that your word would be spoken here in this place today. Pray that your voice would be clear and direct and that you would enter this space. Lord, soften the hearts of your people. Lord, pray that you would be glorified. Amen. So let me just read the scripture. The scripture is Luke chapter 6, verse 36 to 38. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap. For the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So my story of coming before you today is not quite like Ben's story in a dark alleyway. Mine was uh, during the elder meeting. I asked Albert, I said, so when are you going to preach about money? Because if you don't, I will. And he said, well, I can sign you up. How about this date? And I said, uh, my best excuse, which is I got to change the air in my tires that day. And he said, how about another day? And I said, uh, oh, I don't know. Let me get back to you. And uh, that's how I stumbled to this place right here. I do believe, though, that God has been very gracious in helping me. And I'm so thankful for being able to come before you today. And I will give you guys good news. Albert's coming back very, very soon. <laughs> so you might be stuck with me today, but, and I have a newfound appreciation for what he does every week. So let's start with this scripture. And the very first verse, be merciful just as your father is merciful. The definition of mercy is not getting what you deserve. And in this, we think about what we deserve. What do we deserve? In reality, we really deserve nothing. We deserve death. In Paul's letter to the Romans, he says, for the wages of sin is death. But there is good news. It does continue, and it does say, but the gift of God is eternal life. God is merciful to us. And not only is God merciful, he's gracious. The definition of grace is the undeserved favor of God. So not only do we not get what we deserve, but we also get the favor of the Lord. And how can we like look at this grace and this mercy that God has bestowed upon us? And I kind of have two different illustrations. One is in Psalm 104 starts about chapter 10. I'm going to just go ahead and read it quickly for you. And it's talking about like the grandeur of what God has done. The grandeur, the, the amazing beauty of his creation. The whole chapter of Psalm 104 is just like, wow, God made the heavens, the earth, the rivers, the valleys, and this is where it goes. He makes the spring pour water into the ravines. It flows between the mountains. They give water to all the beasts of the field. The wild donkeys quench their thirst. The birds of the sky nest by the waters. They sing among the branches. He waters the mountains from his upper chambers. The land is satisfied by the fruit of his work. 
He makes the grass grow for the cattle and the plants and for the people to cultivate, bringing forth food from the earth. This verse makes me think of the mountains, the valleys, the ravines, and even the cows. They're all the fruit of God's work. And if you think about it, he could have stopped with just a little tiny ravine. He could have stopped at just the basic of that. But he did not stop there. And he was so gracious as to give us way more than that. This makes me think of, it's called the Colorado Plateau. And it's a big, giant geological feature of the U.S. Basically, from the headwaters of the Colorado River all the way through, down through uh, Moab, Utah, the Colorado River snakes through, makes a bigger and bigger valley, and eventually it culminates in the Grand Canyon. And in the middle of this, you know, you start with a tiny little creek up there. I think it's outside of Steamboat Springs, Colorado. I think I've been there. It's been a long time, but just a tiny little creek. And God didn't stop with the creek. He didn't stop even with the beauty of Moab, and he didn't even stop with the Grand Canyon. These are massive, amazing features of God's handiwork. My favorite point in this Colorado Plateau is kind of right there in the middle. It's called Zion National Park. Has anybody been to Zion? So you guys guys know a little bit of what I'm talking about. It just oozes the handiwork of God. You have the really, really blue sky up ahead because it very rarely rains. And if it does rain, it's a torrential downpour and you're about ready to get flash flooded. So you got to be careful. But, you know, there's the blue sky. And then there's this red and burgundy rock wall. It's just the brightest red and the darkest burgundy. And it's all just painted in between. And then coming out of that rock wall is this green foliage in the middle of the desert. And why is green foliage? Because the rock is actually permeated. And so like water comes from the top and comes out like in springs out of the side of the mountain. So literally the mountain while you're in the middle of the desert, and it's hotter than you could ever believe, has this amazing green foliage. And wow, wow for the handiwork of God. These valleys were formed to highlight his glory. And this kind of gives new meaning to that scripture, like where Jesus is talking, don't hush the kids, for if they are quiet, even the rocks will cry out. Are not the rocks crying out the glory of God? So where else do we see God's handiwork looking at this same passage in the mercy of God? And just go on to something very, very simple. Peaches. Who here likes a peach on a warm summer day? I think everybody. We can all attest to the goodness of a peach. So what's amazing about this? You can't mix like you know, a little bit of fiber, a little bit of sugar, and a little bit of flavoring, and you can't make a peach. In fact, bear with me here for a second, but like you mix a little fiber, a little bit of sugar, and a little bit of flavoring, you like have one of those Metamucil shakes, you know what I mean? (laughs) God could have just given us that, and we would not have known better, right? But guess what he gave us? He gave us a peach. Contrast the two. Be merciful as God is merciful. God did not give us what we deserve. And boy, am I thankful. And so we should be merciful as well. You know, my parents, they just moved back to Colorado from Pleasant Hill. And uh, as you might tell, I'm from Colorado originally. 
Anyway, their house in the backyard had a peach tree. And when I asked my mom, I said, so when are you going to move? I asked her in March. I, I said, you know, what's the timing of this? She said, well, we want to stay until the peaches are ripe. So we want to get one more crop of peaches out of that tree. Isn't that amazing? She didn't want to stay to, like, see me a little bit longer. She wanted to stay till the peaches were ripe. God has not given us what we deserve. In fact, he's so gracious and so generous. He gave us his unfailing love. So the next verse says, do not judge and do not condemn. So this is scripture telling us, do you really want to play God? Do you want to judge? Do you want to condemn the people in your life? Absolutely not. That is so much the scale of his work. To do this even on a small scale is like playing God and truthfully, only he can handle this. We need to release the judgment, release the burden and the weight of carrying the past. In Luke 6, Jesus also says, don't look at the speck in another's eye while ignoring the plank in your own. This is effectively scripture telling us, don't be a hypocrite. Let God do the judging. So I kind of thought about this, and I, I think Jonah is a pretty good example of this, the judging and condemning. And most of you guys probably know the story of Jonah and recall that he ran away from God. He was thrown overboard out of the boat, trying to run away. Fish swallowed him up, and then ultimately he went to do what he was supposed to do. He told the Ninevites, beware, repent, for the kingdom of God is near. And they did repent. And then let's pick it up in Jonah chapter 3, verses 10. He said, When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction that he had threatened. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. This is why I ran away, because I knew you were going to be gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry? Jonah had gone out and sat at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter and sat in its shade and waited to see what would happen. To the city. Jonah was expecting the Jericho action. I don't know if you guys were here a couple weeks ago when Jared preached about the Israelites going out to march around Jericho with their drums and they shouted it and then the walls came tumbling down, right? Well, that's what Jonah was actually kind of expecting. And so he like going out to the safe hill on the side of the city and like, okay, it's coming down. Everything's going to happen now, just as my God has said. When it didn't happen, he just became indignant and angry, for he was judging the people of Nineveh, not God. Isn't it better to have God be the judge? Isn't it better? Do we really want to try and handle that? We as Christians or as followers of Jesus, we're so quick to say, oh, well, you know what, he had it coming to him. We're just like Jonah, think about the attic and say, well, he had it coming, or say to God, well, God, why didn't you give me the good-looking girl? Why did my friend get the good-looking girl? Or why can't I buy the house, God? My friend, who doesn't even know you, he's been lucky beyond belief, and I'm not lucky. Oh, do you really want to pray that to God? Are you so lucky? Aren't you so lucky in that he loves you? 
and that you recognize that? So it's pretty clear that judgment is God's domain and not ours. We might like it. We might like to play God, but we could just sit like Jonah on the side of the hill and be royally annoyed. And it goes on further. He says, Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade from his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head, and he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, It would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? And Jonah said, It is. I am so angry. I wish I were dead. But the Lord said, You have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend to it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern over the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals? You know, God is effectively saying, I'm your provider. I provided that leafy plant. I provided this very day that you're sitting here. And I also am compassionate upon the great city of Nineveh, if I'm compassionate upon you, should I not be compassionate upon them? So the judgment is clearly God's domain. It's God's questions to answer. It's not ours. So moving on, the next verse, it says, forgive as God forgives. And I'm going to kind of move fast on this one because it's kind of an entire message, the whole forgiveness. Forgiveness is a big, big thing. But basically, it's saying, why carry all this old sin? Why carry around this baggage? And it flows through all of our lives. Baggage of sin weighs us down. Just as God has forgiven, we need to forgive the same way. We need to forgive. We need to let go of the baggage of the past. Forgiveness empties this baggage. It clears the chalkboards and opens room for the fruit of the Spirit, the love, joys, peace, patience, kindness. It opens the room for the spiritual gifts that were talked about on this Wednesday. We all know the bitter old person who doesn't forgive, so there isn't space to experience joy. I don't know, I mean, I think a lot of people either grow old and bitter or grow old and joyful. And the joyful ones, they're the ones that are forgiving. So we have an opportunity, even today, even at a young age, to forgive. Isn't it kind of interesting to see how a child reacts to forgiveness? and how a child accepts. They're not upset about something that happened two weeks ago. They're upset about something that happened 10 seconds ago, and in 10 seconds, they are probably not going to be upset about it anymore. It's how a child understands to let go of that past hurt. So finally, the passage goes on to say, Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap. For the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So this is saying to give God the glory in your time and money. Looking earlier in chapter 6, Jesus calls us to go far beyond normal giving. He says to love our enemies, and he says to give more than just your cloak. He basically is saying go beyond. Go beyond what would be normal or what would be even acceptable. You need to go further. 
So whatever we give, we must realize that God gave us more. Why does God call us to give to such extremes as this? Because he gave us more. We cannot outgive God. We cannot outgive what God has given to us. He gave us these peaches. He gave us Zion Canyon. He gave us Yosemite. Whatever your favorite place is, God gave us that. So let's look at two major litmus tests for walking with God. And in my notes here, they're time and money. Isn't it just so appropriate that Brett just got up here and talked about this book that is about time and money? I mean, I had nothing to do with that. <laughs> it's all God. Isn't it just so appropriate? The major litmus test about your time. What does your calendar say about how you're spending God's time? And I would encourage you guys, even if right now, go and open up your calendar app on your little phone and tell me, how are you spending your time? Remember, this is God's time. It's not ours. He put us here for a moment, for a fleeting moment. In the grand scheme of thousands of years, it doesn't matter. But he can use us for this little tiny moment. So looking at your calendar app and your calendar can ooze the handiwork of God, just as Zion National Park does. You can have 7 a.m. prayer. At 7.30, you can text the friend where the spirit leads you that needs encouragement. Eight o'clock, you can buy a coffee for your colleague who's depressed because of something that's happening in their life. We're only at 8 a.m., and you're just oozing the handiwork of God. Giving your time to God's glory is the least that we can do because God has given us more. So I have a personal story on this. I signed up to go on a mission trip in 2004 to Mexico. And about a week before the trip, I was considering skipping it. <laughs> of course, I was unemployed then and my time was, I was so busy. Um, <laughs> yeah, so, that's how it works. But, you know, I just sort of said to myself, I'm on the construction team to build a retaining wall, and my construction skills are less than poor. God can use others more than me to minister to the people of Ensenada, Mexico. And so I was really, really struggling with this and like saying, God, should I even bother going? Why? Thankfully, I didn't act on this doubt. I actually met my wife on this mission trip. And I'm so thankful that I was obedient to going despite the reality that I selfishly kind of didn't even want to go. And I selfishly was questioning whether or not God could even use me there. And you often hear that often on a mission trip, the mission trip grows the people that are going to serve more than the people that are being served. And anyone been on a mission trip can probably testify to this, and I can too, definitely, as I met my wife on this trip to Mexico in 2004. And the same is true really on a local level. And the same is true on a local level in your calendar. Texting that friend to encourage them, just a text. That's all it is to say, Lord be with you. You know what? If the Spirit puts it on your heart, they are going to be so renewed by that. And if God uses you, guess what? It just oozes back that joy. 
give and it will be given to you. Give that encouragement and guess what? You will get encouragement right back. Locally, people downstairs right now that can't listen to this right now, but they're getting much more, trust me. Because guess what? The kids are reflecting the joy of God back to the volunteers. So volunteering in the children's ministry, you know what? They're getting ministered to by the kids. Minister in the crossroads ministry. And guess what? You're going to be encouraged by the stories of healing that are happening. We often hear that, well, you know what? I stopped going to church because the church was not ministering to me. The pastor's preaching was just not there. You guys are going to say the same thing about my message today. It doesn't matter, right? I mean, the appropriate response is, so who are you discipling? What ministries are you participating in? Where are you oozing the handiwork of God in your calendar, in your day-to-day week? And this is only day-to-day and hour by hour. Bottom line is, is your calendar, your time, your time can ooze the handiwork of God. Just as those canyon walls are stretching up, just as that peach on a warm summer day, you're just like, wow, but for the grace of God, I am so lucky to eat a peach. You know, some of you might be saying to yourself, I don't even know God. It's all just new to me. And I will say, go eat a peach and reflect on it as a gift from God and see how he meets you there. The second major litmus test for our spiritual walk with God is in our finances. And this is where it gets a little challenging for me. I mean, I'm preaching to myself here today. What is your checkbook or wherever you keep track of this kind of things be honest i kind of don't really keep track nearly as much as i should but what does that say about your life with god (laughs) i just said "Uh uh-oh that's a litmus test for your spiritual journey and your spiritual walk are you giving are you waiting to tithe until you have your finances in order this is like the person that says you know what i don't want to follow christ until I get my life together. I don't want to commit to God until I got my life at a baseline that like things are going good and that I'm not sinning anymore. Whatever, that's not gonna work. We know that's not gonna work. Well, the same is true with our money, right? Our money, whatever, it's God's money, right? It's his. We cannot just go and say, you know what, I'm gonna start giving to the church once I get a job that at least pays X amount. Because you know what? It never is enough. Because you're gonna inflation adjust it, you're gonna pull the same tricks that anybody else would. So, illustration on this, I was actually back in Colorado this last week and I asked my teenage nephew, do you get an allowance? And he said, yes, if he does his chores. He says he gets $5 a week. He said, 50 cents goes to church, a dollar goes to savings, and he gets the rest. And this is my 14-year-old teenage nephew. And how the heck he is going to do anything on $5 a week, I don't know. (laughs) He can't even get a Happy Meal for $4.50. I mean, it's just ridiculous. But let's move past that, right? 
Let's move past that. He started giving very, very young, with no means, and while his allowance is small, God is giving him more. And while his gift is small, God is giving him more. Give, and it will be given unto you. So the scripture actually you know, says this further in the parable of the talents. The master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. I'm going to add, my wife is uh, recently doing a Beth Moore study with a group here from the church, and she just read this to me, and this is a quote from the book. And it says, God often tests us through abundance and prosperity. This is one way that he proves our character. Often our character is at greater risk in prosperity than adversity. Don't we know that? You see, somewhere along the line, we accept Satan's lie that we had something to do with our provisions. And I think that really kind of starts making me think, do we have anything to do with the provision of this day? This glorious day, I might add, right? Do we have anything to do with that? Do we have anything to do with the provision of breakfast this morning? No, it's God. You know, we could have been like the Israelites just taking the manna, which was supposedly flavorless and and it was manna for the day. It molded away immediately. Boom, gone. It was sustenance for the day. And God has given us so much more. And we start to think, well, you know what? That was mine. I did that. I work hard. I deserve a good salary. You know, come on. God gave you that job. God has the money. We must start trusting God as our provider. Are you giving God's money? Or are you giving some of your money to God? is it really is his money. I'm in the investment business, and so I follow what happens at the Fed, but if God needed money, he could print it faster than the Fed. Is this not true? I mean, you hear about quantitative easing, which is Fed printing money to stimulate the economy and so on and so forth. God has it all. So it's not like he really needs us, but he's calling us. He's saying, give, and it will be given unto you. So we owe a response to our generous Heavenly Father. We owe a response that is not like Jonah. We do need to respond with some hilarious generosity. So let's move on to press down, shaken together. And this refers to the common practice of adding a little air in the packaging. You know, I, I love cheesy crackers, and I love like cheesy crackers on chili. That's my favorite. But you open up a box of Cheez-Its, and guess what? The top third is air, straight air, because contents may have settled during shipping, whatever, right? <laughs> and I look at it, and I say, I got chipped. And that's what God is saying. He's saying, you're not going to get chipped. He is saying, this refers to the press down, shaking together, is saying, take the bucket of grain, and then shake it down so it settles a little bit, and then fill it up some more, shake it down some more, and then it's gonna come overflowing onto your lap. This is to say that God's generosity is not a fraud. It's not a box of cheese, it's with a bunch of air. This is to say that God's generosity is a good measure. God is so generous as to give us these amazing things. 
and it overflows and it oozes outward. And we should ooze it outward as well. The second we kind of hoard and turn it inward, you know what? You're not recognizing the glorious one that gave it to you. So the bar is high, and it should be. God gave us these peaches. He gave us Yosemite. You know what? He gave us his son. Man, he could have just stopped with Metamucil. Like, he could have just said, you know what? This is your daily fiber. Boom. This is your daily manna. Boom. But he gave us so much more. Shouldn't we be sacrificially giving giving of our time, giving of our resources, giving of our talents. And you know, one more thing. You might be here and you might be empty and you're at rock bottom. And I'm going to ask, well, who knows this? Are you withholding your needs from the people around you? Are you keeping them from God? Accept the generous gifts of God. He gave us all of creation. He is so generous as to give us this glorious day, this amazing day. Top 10 day in San Francisco. You know, top 10 days, all the freaks come out. And this is one of those days. So I would actually say, give today back to God and see what he does with this day. The bottom line is, and the whole juxtaposition here is we cannot outgive God. He's given us more. He's given us more mercy. He's given us more grace. He's given us more beauty. We cannot give more than what he has already given. Because you know what? He sacrificed his son willingly. We should give and we should give generously. Because God is so worthy. He's so worthy to be praised. He's so worthy to be given the glory. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord, I thank you for your great work. Lord, I thank you for moving in Brett to start a class that is going to focus on time and resources. And Lord, I pray that we would be seeking you on these corners, that we would recognize you as the giver of all things. Lord, I pray that we would take these words to heart and then I pray that we would act on them. Lord, I pray as I prayed before. Lord, soften our hearts, open us up to what you have for us, the great glorious gifts that you have for us. Open our eyes. And Lord, help us to not be like Jonah. Help us to not be sitting on the hill in isolation. But Lord, help us to be recognizing your goodness at every turn. Your name.